This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right. Well, good evening, good evening, good evening. Everybody doing good? All right. Uh, tonight, uh, I want to uh, talk to you on the subject of the title of the message is There's More Beyond Here. How many know sometimes we, uh, we, how many know sometimes we limit God? How many know sometimes we kind of set limits that God never sets? How many know that God is never done uh, giving vision for your life and for the church? It's just continuous unfolding, but we've got to be in sync with Him. Can you say amen to that? And, uh, can I tell you uh, prophetically and, and make a pronouncement yes. that there's more beyond here? Yes. That there's more beyond this uh, renovation of this, this uh, uh, extreme makeover of this one classroom? That there's more impact in the schools? There's more impact in the community? There's more beyond renting this hall? Come on, can you say amen? <clears throat> there's more beyond here. It's a faith issue. It's a vision issue. There's <clears throat> more beyond where you are too. Pastor Travis, right? There's more beyond here. So bow your heads to be in a word of prayer and let's look into the word. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, once again we thank you for the grace of God. Grace that saved us. Grace that calls us. Grace that keeps us. Lord, tonight speak to every heart, every situation, every circumstance. You know right where we're at, each one. And Lord, you're so personal. Speak to every heart, every life, in that personal way, in a language that only we can understand. We give you the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. There's more beyond here. Look at this. Look at this little story. Before Columbus made his famous voyage, it was popularly believed that the world ended somewhere in the Atlantic, just past Gibraltar. The Spanish were proud that their nation was the westernmost part of the earth. They felt that they were literally on the edge of the world. Thus, the ancient coat of arms of the Spanish royal family contained these words. There is no more beyond here. Can you imagine? This is the crest. It's all over the kingdom. (coughs) What is your royal crest? Honey, if you come here, this is it. There is no more beyond here until Columbus shows up. After Columbus' voyage, it was clear that there was far more beyond Spain's borders, thus rendering the royal model meaningless. A wise advisor suggested to Queen Isabella that they simply drop the no from the coat of arms and change it to read, there is more beyond here. I mean, that was a wise thing to do. But what if somebody would counsel us? What if the Holy Spirit would counsel us and say, would you just drop the no? And say there's more beyond here? Could you drop your no's and your negativities and your your unbelief and your cynicism and believe that there's more beyond here? How many of you know this is not the end? Come on, this is not the end for you personally. It's not the end for the church. This is not the end all. But there is more beyond here. Say amen. Amen. Look, God has more for you personally. Uh, uh, Go ahead. Follow me. Go ahead. That's okay. God says this. For I know the plans I have for you. He doesn't say you know. 
Is that what he said? I know. How many know God has a plan? And you don't know what it is. I know the plans I have for you. And they're good. It's a great plan. How many know God is good, God loves you, and God has a good plan for your life? Yeah. Let me tell you a story. I, I had to step in and take over a church. Uh, the pastor uh, had a misstep. And uh, I went, and, and, and uh, they were without a pastor. So for a year and a half, I, I oversaw this church in the South. And one of the elders, uh, really kind of a rough guy, you know, he starts telling me a story. He's a multimillionaire. And uh, he goes, hey, Pastor Mike, let me, let, me, let me tell you my story. Said, well, I'd like to hear it. I can't hardly believe you're a multimillionaire. And uh, he said, well, you know, when I was a toddler, my father left us, left my mother and I. And I was just kind of, my mother went to work, I was just kind of left to myself. Really never had any nurture, any care. And so I was just a kid of the streets. And by the time I was a pre-teenager, I was already getting drunk, drinking. And when I became a teenager, I got into drugs. And so by the time I'm a young teen, I'm into drugs and alcohol, pretty heavy, get into petty crime, and end up going into juvenile detention centers for all of my teenage years. So he said, all I knew all through my teenage years was juvenile detention centers. He said, when I got out, of course, my mother didn't care about me. He didn't know my father. So he said, I got in with the rough crowd, and I began to commit felonies, and I got caught, did an armed robbery. And he gets thrown into a federal prison. And he said, in there, he said, I just fought and kicked and clawed. He said, I was, a, you know, I was just a scrapper and a fighter. And he had his own commissary selling contraband in prison. Just, a, just an angry guy, you know, no education, no family. And uh, he gets thrown into solitary confinement. And in solitary confinement, somebody gives him a Bible, and uh, he accepts Jesus Christ in that, that prison cell. When he gets out, he gives all his contra- gets rid of all, he gets rid of all the drugs he had in prison, and he gives away all the other stuff and said, I'm all done selling stuff. Becomes a model prisoner. When he gets let out, and his record's a mile long, gets let out of prison... What are you going to do now? Here's a guy with no family. Nobody cares about him. No nurture. No education. So you know what they say? They're going to label you. The best you can ever do is have a a minimum wage job. In prison, they taught him how to lay block. And when he got out, guess what he did? He got a minimum wage job laying block. And he did it joyfully because now he's got Jesus in his heart and it doesn't matter. And while he's laying block and doing his work and living a clean life, one day, there's an old lady on the job next to them, and she said, Hey, son, this weekend, could you come and fix my porch? And he said, Sure. And he goes and fixes her porch, and she gives him money. And then she goes, You know, my neighbor needs her deck finished, and he goes and does that. And pretty soon, somebody else, I want you to do this. And God speaks to him and said, I want you to start a business. Long story short, he starts a business. He starts prospering. Then he started another business. Then God said, I want you to buy some land. Buys the land, sells it, starts making money, starts another business. He's become a multimillionaire. But you know what he did? He took that money and he said, God, I'm going to go after men that are just like me. And he built two beautiful homes, like Teen Challenge Centers, that he runs. And he has 50 men at a time coming out of prison, coming out of, of drug rehab houses that no one else would give a chance to. And he clothes them, he trains them, he puts them to work in these businesses that he started. And every year, when he graduates, these guys that go through his program, as they graduate, he buys each one of them a used car. 
and he preaches the gospel to them. He's done so much good work that the governor of that state reviewed his record, and which was a long record. And actually, uh, what do they call it? He he um, how do they cleanse his record? What do they call it? Expunged his record, and now he is a free and clear man. But here's here's my point. God says, I know the plan I have for you. See, people will label you. People say, I know what you're going to amount to. Nothing. God says, don't ever let anybody label you because when you're in Christ, you're a brand new creation. Come on, say amen. And even as a church, I'll tell you, for us as a church, when we first started, I I was with 20 people. We're meeting in an old abandoned schoolhouse. You, You think this, let me tell you something. You have no idea where we started. You have no idea. We had one. We had two rooms in a five-floor building that were usable, and we were in those two rooms. It was like a, it was like the, the creepy house on on the end of the street, you know, that nobody wanted to go to. And that's where we we're holding church. And everybody said nothing will ever come of those people. I had no no formal training. I had no mentors. I had no spiritual fathers. Nothing will ever come of them. But God said, I know the plans I have for you. Yeah. You're going to have the largest church in this entire area. And all are going to stand back and be astounded because they're going to say, this is the work of God and not the work of man. What if we would drop the no from our life? What if we would let God do what he wants to do in our life? What if we would stop resisting? Come on, say amen. What if we would say there was more beyond here? Come on, say amen. Look, next, script, next scripture, go ahead. We are God's master. Oh, go ahead. We are, I'm sorry, we are God's masterpiece. See, God calls you a masterpiece. So not just for you personally, but for the church. God says, look, the church, we, Impact Church, your church, is a masterpiece of God. We are created anew in Christ. And God says he's got good works for us to do. There, there's, there's not only rooms to be rehabbed, there's people's lives to be transformed. Come on, there's communities to be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, right here, look. Now to our God, here, God, and Paul said this, to our God who could do so many awe-inspiring things, immeasurable things, things greater than we could ever ask or imagine. You can't ask big enough. Listen to me. You can't imagine big enough. If you would have grabbed me as a 22-year-old kid when I got saved, and you would have put your arm around me and said, God wants to talk to you, son, you know what God's going to do in your life? I would have said, what? I was into drug culture, you know. What were you just taking there, buddy? Are you kidding me now? You have no idea. Do you have any idea? No, God says, do you have any idea? Right now, he's able to do exceeding abundantly, far over and above all you could ask or think. How? Watch. According to his power that's at work within you and I. The power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, the power of a new life. Are you with me? Wow. God wants to do mighty things through you right now. But God often begins, go ahead, by asking, what do you see? If we're going to talk about more beyond here, then what he would do is he would say to you, what do you see? Really? You got this guest speaker from New York, but what do you see? Look, Zechariah, the angel who was speaking with me returned and woke me up as you might wake up somebody who was sleeping. How many of us sometimes we spiritually slumber? Wake up! I woke up. And he said, what do you see? What if God would shake you to wake you? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? When we don't or can't see, we live carelessly. (coughs) The great scripture on on vision. (coughs) 
which are my, my, my little grandkids, you know. I had to go on a trip to California, and they're kissing me up before I left, and they all had colds, and Popeye, <laughs> and so I, I got the cold before I left, and I'm on the end of it here. But if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. King James says, where there is no vision, people what? Perish. The word perish is a, it's a, it's a pregnant word with meaning. It means they, listen to this, you know, you've studied the word perish? It means they cast off restraint. They live carelessly. They will not be harnessed. In other words, they won't be disciplined. They won't be brought into order. And actually, one, one translation of that word means to strip naked. And what it means basically is, it was, it was used when Moses was coming down off the mountain and Aaron caused the people to be naked. You know, everything was stripped from them. In other words, the silver and the gold, watch this, the silver and the gold that they were used to build the temple was being used for idolatry. And what God says, when we don't have vision, the very things you need are stripped from you. But if you can reverse that and go the opposite way, where there is a vision, listen to me, everything you need miraculously is provided for you. When you begin to see what God is doing, we're the most blessed. God begins to give us everything we need. Can you say amen? amen? Now, here's my question to you. Let's go to the next point. God wants to open our eyes and give us fresh vision. He wants to open your eyes and my eyes because he wants us to realize. He's saying, what do you see? Well, he wants us to see. He wants to open our eyes and give us fresh vision so that we can realize there's more beyond here. How does he do it? We're asking God that you may see things, as it were, from his point of view, by being given spiritual insight and understanding. So how does he do that? How does God open our eyes? I say, I say to you, there's more beyond here. You say, well, that's good. How do I know that? Once you leave here, how does God open my eyes? How do I get awakened to see what, what's more beyond here? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. It's real simple. This is very deep preaching. Number one, here's how God opens people's eyes. All right? Through the scripture, here's how he opens eyes. He invites us to seek him. He invites you to ask him. Remember in the Bible, there's a story of a man named Blind Bartimaeus. Remember him? Remember him? Blind Bartimaeus. <clears throat> and as Jesus was, was passing through Jericho, Blind Bartimaeus sits on the side of the road in his beggar's garment. And he goes, what's that noise? And he said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins to, he gets up, throws off his beggar's garment, and he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd began to say, be quiet, we can't hear the man, be quiet. But the more they told him to be quiet, the more he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Until he caught the attention of Jesus, and you know the Lord healed him, right? You know the story. Now, here's what, when you read it very carefully, it says this. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. I studied that. Timaeus was a well-known blind beggar. And so you had a father who was on the side of the road his whole life begging. And now the next generation, Bartimaeus. Oh, that's Bartimaeus, poor unfortunate guy. That's the son of Timaeus, who was the blind beggar his whole life. And you know, a lot of people look at the church, poor pitiful souls, there they are, going at it again, just kind of begging their way through life, just sitting on the side of the road, 
you know, they're not going to ever accomplish anything. One generation after another, but you know, all of a sudden, when Jesus starts passing by, people start shouting out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Something's going to be different. I'm going to grab a hold of you. I want you to open my eyes. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? He said that I might have my sight. And Jesus healed him. Come on, we've got to cry out to God. We've got to cry out to God for God to open our spiritual eyes, our spiritual understanding. Can you say amen? Look, look at this. Go ahead, next, next slide there. Moses said something profound to the children of Israel. For all their, listen, for everything God did for them. This is, this is like toward the end of the journey. They have been delivered from Egypt. The most powerful nation on the face of the earth. God set them free. 400 years of slavery. Like you and I, our salvation. He opens up a Red Sea. He pours manna down from heaven, water out of a rock, miraculously provides for them, defeats all their enemies. And here's what he says. After, after 40 years, he said, but God didn't give you an understanding heart or perceptive eyes or attentive ears until right now, this very day. You know what that's telling me? There are moments, aha moments, when the coin drops and we finally start to see. See, when a congregation, when an individual has an aha moment with God and your eyes begin to be opened up and you start realizing all that he's done, then you start grasping a hold of all he wants to do, your life will never be the same ever again. Jeremiah, <coughs> here's the invite. Call unto me and I'll answer you. That's God's promise. If you call, I'll answer. And not only will I answer, I'm going to tell you marvelous things and wondrous things you could never figure out on your own. See, God says if you'll begin to commune, out of intimacy, listen, comes revelation. If you talk to God, God will talk back. And when God starts talking back, he starts opening our eyes. He said, ask me, and I'll tell you some remarkable things about what's going to happen here. What if God let us in on what he wants to do in our area? Are you there? An aha moment. The Lord opens our eyes. I can't tell you how many prophetic things. You know, right now, New York State is going through an economic renaissance. Not millions, but billions. Billions and billions of dollars in nanotechnology. And if I were to tell you in 2001, 2002, in our prayer meetings, the Lord began to, we began to crowd to God to bring computer companies, computer chip companies to New York, and in my travels, I'm out in, the, in Silicon Valley, I'm preaching in, in San Francisco. I meet the vice president of AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, who's a Christian. I invite him out to Utica. I said, would you please come and, and speak to our business people, speak to our government officials? And he said, absolutely, I'll come. This, this okay? So he comes out and he speaks to them. But he said, Mike, no, no computer plant. He said, uh, AMD, it, it's a downturn, and we're building all of our chip uh, fab plants out of America. We're building one in Dresden, Germany right now for $2 billion. We can't build one here. I said, all right, well, you know, we'd like some business, but whatever. Thanks for coming. One year later, we're in our time of fasting and prayer, and the word of the Lord, I had Eric Butler come. Eric Butler is a prophet, never came to our church before. He starts prophesying. He starts prophesying. Because we're crying out to God. He said, I see a chip manufacturing company coming. I see computer chips being produced. I said, are you kidding me now? I said, call 
His name was Tom McCoy. So I called Tom McCoy right now and send Tom this prophecy. Monday morning, we send Tom the prophecy. Tom, well, listen, this, you, th- you think I'm making this stuff up. He goes, you are not going to believe it. He goes, I just came out of a board meeting. We're doing so well. We're, we're ahead of schedule. We have to build another plant. And I said to them, we're going to build it in New York. And he said, Mike, we never do this, but I, we have two sites that we're going to choose from, one in Albany and one in Utica. And he said, I'm sending the team out. And he goes, I promise you, Mike, not a question of if, but a question of when. We're going to put a chip fab plant in Utica. They came out and they built in Albany, New York. There's an AMD. It's called, it's called uh, Global Foundries. They built it about probably 10 years ago, a $2 billion plant. They are right now building, a GE is building a chip plant, a nanotechnology plant in Utica, a $3 billion facility that's going to be followed by $40 more billion in technology. I want to tell you, people are coming into the church like crazy. The community is going through an economic renaissance, and it all started with the people crying out to God, saying, Lord, we're going to call to you. Would you tell us some remarkable things about what's going to happen right here? Come on, say amen. amen. What does God want to do in Kingston? What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do in the school? Isn't it amazing when you and I have spiritual insight? So he invites us to ask him. Number two, the way God opens spiritual eyes. Sometimes we think it's the end. God says it's only the beginning. He meets us in our places of difficulty, and he reminds us of our destiny. Again and again, in the Bible, he would meet people when they're going through difficult times. And he'd say, it's not over. I just want to open your eyes. Second Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, <coughs> there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And he said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. How many of you know sometimes we get surrounded by difficulties? Pastor Cameron, you don't understand. We want to do this stuff, but we're hedged in. There, there is so much. You don't understand what it's like in Kingston. It's so difficult here in the demons and the darkness and the people are resistant and on and on and on. We've got to have a prophetic anointing. There's got to be an Elijah, Elisha that says, Lord, touch their eyes. Come on, in the middle of our difficulty, you are still God. You are greater than these circumstances. Come on, say amen. You're greater than the circumstances. He said, Lord, touch his eyes because it's all a matter of what you see. Isn't it? It's true. All of a sudden, look. He said, uh, Elijah prayed, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Come on, there's more than a force than against us. Can you say amen? No matter what you're facing right now, God is greater than what's coming against you. But you've got to get your eyes open. How about when you walk through difficulty and pain, heartache, disappointment? The Christians go through that? They do in New York. I don't know about up here in Canada. Here's one of the, look, look at this, look at this verse. Look, this is a real heartbreaker right here. This is the time uh, of Jesus' crucifixion. You know, when Jesus was crucified, those disciples scattered uh, seven ways to Sunday. They were all running. And you know the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that story? Emmaus was seven miles away from Jerusalem. They were walking as far away as they could. And here's what it says. The same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. 
They were in deep conversation, <clears throat> going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus comes up and walks along with them. Now look at this. But they were not able to recognize who he was. <coughs> you know the story, right? They're walking along, and he said, what are you talking about? And they go, well, you're the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened. And we're talking about, you know, Jesus, we thought he was the one. We were hoping he was the one, but our hopes were dashed. We've been disappointed. You know, we, everything we believed in, it didn't turn out the way we thought. Ever sound like anybody you know? Nobody here. We had hoped, I would tell you, hope deferred. I was believing for this, but God let me down. It didn't turn out the way I thought. I am so disappointed. And you're walking along and you're talking. Here's the amazing thing. Never realize, look, listen to me, that he was right there with him. Can I tell you something? That when you walk through the most difficult times of your life, you may think, you may be think you're walking away from God. But can I tell you something? He'll never walk away from you. That even though you don't see him, he is right there with you all the time. Amen. And when they stopped and they invited him into the house, you know the story, and he began to break bread, their eyes were opened. They began to see in their difficulty. You know what they did? They went right back to where they were supposed to be. Frederick Buchner said this, Emmaus, oh, no, no, we, 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 we missed. Emmaus was not so much for us now. It's not so much a place as a state of mind. Our Emmaus, our Emmaus, where we run. Anybody running to Emmaus here? <laughs> it's the state of mind where we go to escape. Escape from pain, loneliness, longing, sorrow, bewilderment, grief, betrayal, an ungrateful family, or that horrible gnawing grief over life and love lost. See you, Hester. I'm going to Emmaus. And sometimes we check out. Uh, not in Kingston, but in New York. People check out. <laughs> We're walking the wrong way. Can I tell you something? Even in the middle of that, God's going to come and remind you there's more beyond here. Amen. That he is with you. You can't see him, but he's with you. John Maxwell said this, where there's no, go to that next slide there, where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. We have to have hope, folks. Can you say amen? amen? He meets us in our moments of difficulty to remind you you have a destiny. No matter how dark it, come on, no matter how dark it is in your life, he's walking with you. Can I tell you that? He's with you. He's with you. That's how he opens your eyes. A third way God, op God opens our eyes is he will lead us out of the familiar, the known. So, in the process of God giving vision, God opening people's eyes, he asks us to seek him. Sometimes he meets us in difficult places. And this one nobody likes. He leads us out of the familiar, the known. Go ahead. The chains of habit are generally too small, small to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Too small to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Little things, getting bound up, bound up habits, being comfortable, setting our ways, setting our ways, setting our ways, setting our ways. And then when you go to, when you go to, to move out of it, you ain't moving because you don't realize you're setting your ways. 
Let me, let me, give you, let me show you a Bible story how Jesus opened the man's eyes. Now, can you understand I'm making a correlation here between opening uh, your natural eyes and, and spiritual vision? Well, you got that, right? Okay, good. Okay. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. So, bring the blind. And they begged him to touch and heal him because, see, many times Jesus would just speak a word, Jesus would touch people, they'd be healed. Jesus does something totally different and unusual with this guy. He takes him by the hand and leads him out of the city. Wait a minute. You know, when you read the story, put yourself in the story for a minute. I want you to think. The one thing you do not do to a blind person is take him out of a familiar, a familiar environment. Blind people have to know where everything is because they don't navigate by what they see with their eyes. They have to navigate by familiarity. Are you with me? Now, here, Jesus, you're doing a terrible thing. You're taking him out of everything he knows? We had a little Jack Russell. <clears throat> and uh, when the Jack Russell, the, you know, if you have a Jack Russell? <laughs> the, the, the Jack Russell had a lens problem, and it went blind in one eye. We take it to the vet. <coughs> they put a prosthetic eye in. So she's going around, you know her. But then her other eye went. And I was heartbroken. We loved her like part of the family. I thought we were going to have to put her down, take her to the, the Cornell in New York. And they said, the doctor, I said, we have to put her down. He goes, no, no. He goes, she could function as well blind as she can with two eyes. I go, come on. He goes, I'm telling you. He told me about a doctor that had three or four blind dogs. You never even know they're blind. He said, you just got to give her some time to get used to her surroundings. And we did. We, we had a second eye other eye taken out, another prosthetic eye in. It looked like she had eyes. And, you know, for the first few days she'd bump into things. But we realized as long as we didn't move anything, she was okay. I mean, she would come down and greet me at the door. We'd, you know, three, three, uh, we, have a three, we had a three, four house. She'd come all the way down and greet me at the door, wag her tail, you know. We'd go up, sit on the couch. Sometimes I'd have people over, and I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd have her next to me, and I'd tell, her, tell them she's blind, and I'd say, look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> so, she was fine, as long as you didn't move anything. As long as you didn't move, you get it? A lot of people are fine in the church as long as you don't change anything. <laughs> Just <coughs> don't change anything. We start bumping into one another, we start having collisions, and we don't like it. <coughs> In New York, not here. I know you people. <laughs> See, sometimes the only way, listen to me, this is one of the main ways God opens your eyes, is he takes you out of your comfort zone. He takes you out of the familiar. You know, psychologists tell us that if you want to grow as a person, you want to grow and mature. I mean, not just grow. If you want to grow in a skill, you want to grow in business, you want to grow on your job, you want to grow as a person. You know how you grow? The first step is you have to be willing to be challenged out of your comfort zone. Okay? So you're challenged out. And you're in this uncomfortable place like this guy, where you, what you were familiar with, what you used to hold on to, is not there anymore. This doesn't feel right. I, I'm not secure. I, I, I go to reach for something, it's not there. I, and God says, that's okay. You're gonna, you don't, everything you used to reach for can't sustain you in the new place. You've got to learn new ways. 
You're taken out of the old and brought into an uncomfortable place to learn new ways, to exercise so God can deal with you. Here's the thing. Most people will step out of their comfort zone, realize how uncomfortable they are, and step right back into the way they used to be. But see, if a people would step out and let God challenge them and learn new ways, he's going to take you into where he wants you to go. And that's what he did with this guy. He took him out of the city and he began to touch him. He spit on his eyes. He laid his hands and he said, can you see? And he goes, well, yeah, I kind of can see people not very clearly. You know, Jesus was having a little power day. Come on back here. Sorry, I didn't have done enough anointing. You don't have enough faith. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Vision's progressive. How many know sometimes we don't see things clearly? How many know when pastor preaches and challenges you and then you're stepping out? How many doing this school project was a step it out of our comfort zone. Come on, talk to me. There's more things God would have you step out. See, the minute we get so comfortable and say, we never did it like that before, we've never done that here before, it's all over. Those are, those are death words. You've got to say, hallelujah, pastor, we've never done it like that before. That's never been done here before. Let's step out. I'm with you. Come on. The Lord's going to open up our eyes. We're going to begin to get fresh vision. Come on, say amen. Here's another one. <coughs> you know this story. Uh, the disciples are in the boat. <coughs> i got to put my water again. The disciples are in the boat, and uh, Jesus comes walking on the water. Remember that story? Peter said, if it's really you, bid me come. Jesus said, come on. Peter steps out and begins to, think about this. A human being walked on water. We always say, well, he, he sunk. How many steps have you taken? <clears throat> huh? He walked on the water. And, and then what happened was, <clears throat> he noticed a strong wind. <clears throat> so he was afraid, started to sink. <clears throat> Save me, Lord, he cried. At once, Jesus reached out and grabbed the hold of him and said, what little faith you have, why did you doubt? Another translation says, why did you doubt and dance back and forth between following me and heeding fear? The word doubt in the Greek means two, double, two. It actually means it's an intersection. It, it, it's, it's, it's used like this, of an intersection where two roads meet, and you don't know which one to take. So he was at an intersection of natural and supernatural between his mind and the mind of God. And he didn't know which way to go. But here's the mistake we make. We think doubt, according to the Greek mindset, and doubt is a, a mental thing. I doubt, therefore I won't do. I'm not going to do it because I doubt. And doubt is a sin. But the heap, listen to me now. I wish I had time to really expound it, but I don't. I've got to move on. But just let me drop this nugget. In the Hebrew mindset, doubt was accepted. The Lord wasn't moved by their doubt. What he would say is, you doubt, that's no problem. Keep on walking. See, the way the Hebrew mindset overcame doubt was by obedience. Just listen to me. Keep obeying. See, the Greek mindset says you doubt, therefore you stop, and you go through all this 
analysis of questioning and everything. God says, oh, no, no, you can have your doubts. We're all going to have doubts. I'm asking you to obey. Keep obeying. Keep walking. Why did you stop walking? Why did you stop obeying? Don't let your mind take over. Just do what I told you to do. Keep doing what I told you to do. Keep doing what I told you to do. Keep doing what I told you to do. You and I can have doubts. Doubts are part of the journey. God expects you to have doubts. Your only way your doubts are going to be resolved is by you doing what God told you to do. <coughs> Let me tell you a story. <coughs> I had to take over a church in, in Albany. When I stepped in to help them, uh, I need my water again. <coughs> Those little grandkids, man, they're killing me. When I stepped in to help them, the church went from 500 to 100. <coughs> Pastor fell in immorality. <coughs> when I step in there, I don't know anybody. They got a $3.2 million mortgage. <coughs> 100 people left in the church. So I look at $22,000 a month mortgage payment, 2000 in utilities, three staff members, a couple of church plants. I start doing the math. It's, it's over. It's over. Turn the lights out. So I go meet with the people. <coughs> Pastor steps down. I, um, I get in the car to drive home. It's about an hour drive. And uh, when I'm in the car by myself, I pick up my cell phone, and I'm going to call the bank in California that has the mortgage on this church. <clears throat> when I pick up the phone, I, I go on the Internet to find the, the number of the bank in California. The Lord, the Lord spoke this clearly. He said, what are you doing? I'm calling the bank, tell them to come get their building. What else is there to do? He said, did you ask me? Ask you what? This is like, this is one of the things you don't ask anybody anything. It's over, it's done. Put a fork in it, it's done, it's done. I said, ask you what? He said, haven't you always preached that I love my church? Yes, I have. He said, who sinned here? I said, the pastor. He said, did those people sin? I go, no. He goes, have they been faithful? Yes. Do you preach I love my church? Yes. He said, you didn't ask me. I said, ask you what? He said, to do a miracle. Oh, I'm really getting nervous. <laughs> I said, a, do a miracle? He said, ask me to do a miracle. I said, do a miracle. But the miracle will not involve any money from Redeemer Church. If it's a miracle, let it be a miracle. Because I, t I said, Lord, <clears throat> I've watched too many people help with miracles. I'm not going to help. If it's a miracle, <clears throat> let it be a miracle. And he said to me, I don't want that church to close. Go back and tell those people to pray. Tell them I'm faithful. Tell them I love my church. Well, listen, you want to talk about doubt? I was the most unbelieving believer there. I had to look at those people and say, God's going to do a miracle. God is going to, are you sure, Pastor Mike? Yes, God is going to do a miracle. <laughs> if I were you, I'd get out of here. God's going to do a miracle. But see, doubt, you got to walk it out. <clears throat> I said to the folks, you don't know me? I'm going to step in. I'm going to believe God with you. We're going to pray. God's going to do a miracle. And every week, what we would do is the money that came in on Sunday, she paid the bills on Monday, and every week for six months we made it. Every, I was shocked. After six months, I get a phone call. 
secretary. Pastor Mike, Monday morning, paid all the bills. <clears throat> okay. She was the mortgage payments due, 22000 on Thursday. I said, so? She was there's $100 left in the account. I said, well, don't pay the mortgage. I got the phone. I said, I, I told you. <laughs> I tried to tell you. Now, I just want you to know, God, I'm not helping you with this miracle. No help from me. <clears throat> the next day. This has never happened before. It's never happened since. The next day, a letter comes from a lawyer. I'm thinking, who's going to sue us now? <clears throat> it's from a law office. The secretary opens the letter. Out falls a check. The letter is from an estate attorney. Someone who had been a part of the church, because I, I didn't really know anybody in the church, that had died two years before. Say two years. Two years. Two years. They had died. It took two years to settle their estate. He had sent the church part of his estate. Guess how much the check was for? 22000 It's 22000 And so the Lord said, pay the, pay the mortgage and do not doubt. And I want to tell you something. That church today, we've taken it. It's a Redeemer campus. We bought that building. We, our church bought it. We have 500 people there now. It is alive. The building has gone up in value. We, we bought it from the bank for about a million and a half dollars. It's gone up in value to $12 million. How many know God's ways are greater than our ways? Come on, say amen. You know, you know what the problem is? You've got to walk it out. Are you getting something out of this? You've got to walk it out. Next one. I'll give you two more if you're okay. Oh, no, wait. Wasn't there another one there? No, well, I'm going to give you one more. See, I'm way ahead of myself. This is my last point. <clears throat> he takes our eyes off what was and causes us to look with faith toward the future. Philippians 3 says this, Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal. Isaiah said this, Forget about what's happened, don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? Can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see? And a lot of people can't. You want to know why? They're stuck in the past. Some people are stuck in the past good, and some people are stuck in the past bad. Some people are stuck in the past because of hurts and disappointments. And all their, their whole perspective is on what was. Some people, and this is very common in churches, they're stuck in the past good. Well, 20 years ago, bless God, we had a move, I want to tell you, 20 years ago, the church is a lot different. Than, the church I was in 20 years ago is a lot better than this. And everything is referenced to 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or 30 years ago. And they're stuck in the past. Look at this quote. Believers cannot live on past victories nor should they be debilitated by the guilt of past sins. Churches are full of spiritual cripples, paralyzed by the grudges, bitternesses, sins, and tragedies of the past. Others try to survive in the present by reliving past successes. They must break with the past if they are to pursue the spiritual prize. God is interested in what believers do now and in the future. No one declared Jesus. After putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
The clearest vision belongs to those who forget the past. <coughs> I'll tell you one more story and I'm done. And I've got to drive home. <coughs> we started a, uh, a compassion ministry, which I don't have enough time to tell you about, but it was just, <coughs> it began miraculously. Uh, an unsaved man, uh, let me have a little bit more water. <coughs> an unsaved businessman gave us, uh, donated a building to us. The thing just exploded with growth. And after about eight years, <clears throat> we're giving food away. We're, we're, we're ministering to tens of thousands of people. After eight years, <clears throat> we had an upset in our elections. And uh, our mayor, I don't have time to tell you the story, but I was very close with our mayor. He lost the election. Everything he did, he'd have me there by his side. So I'd be on TV with him. I'd be in the newspaper with him. Well, when the other guy won, he's like, you're a friend of his. You're an enemy of mine. Well, when the mayor lost, the congressman lost. And so now we lost our friend in Congress, lost our friend in the mayor's office. And uh, <coughs> there's a, a, a national organization called Feeding America that went to all the providers like Walmart and some of the big uh, grocery chains and said, stop giving to secondary outlets like people like that Compassion Coalition. And just give to us, and we'll distribute it through food banks across America. People don't need to hear about religion when they're getting food. <coughs> so overnight, Walmart cut us off. Quaker Oats, General Mills, done, done, done. For the first time in eight years, I'd walk through our building, and there'd be no food. Now, I was right in the middle of dealing with this mess in Albany, so I, I was, like, distracted. I'm trying to deal with this, you know, this $3.2 million mortgage, and I'm walking through our warehouse... And it's getting worse and worse. So I'm telling Charlie, <coughs> Charlie's our executive director, <coughs> I'd say, call the mayor. Well, the mayor, the mayor won't talk to us. Call the congressman. He won't meet with us. Call Walmart. They won't return a phone call. All they said is, it's, it's written, it's done. They, they've made a corporate decision. Nobody gets food anymore. It all goes through feeding America. Well, call, call somebody. And they said, well, you don't understand that they have 500 lobbyists in Washington, D.C. They're a multi-million dollar entity. You can't fight them. You are beaten. You're defeated. There's no way around it. Ever, ever, ever had judgments like that come to you? Don't bother. You're not even David. You're, you're, you're the ant beneath David's sandal. This is a huge Goliath. There's just no battle. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to swallow this and deal with it with no food in our place. And I get an email from Singapore, my friends in Singapore, and they say, we want you to come and do a national conference on ministry to the poor. I'm not going to be doing a national conference on giving to the poor. I'm upset! So I emailed back, I'm too busy. And they said, well, when are you not busy? I said, six months! And they said, we'll take you in six months. <laughs> Chinese are very, very persistent. They're also very, very smart. So six months go by, I agreed to go, and uh, I'm, I'm putting together uh, the syllabus to teach them. And uh, I'm doing all the theology of helping the poor. I got to preach for five hours. And I'd say, you know, uh, here's the theology and here's the miracle. God told us to do it. God provided a warehouse. God provided the warehouse. God provided the food. <coughs> and then I get right to the end. I'm sitting at my dining room table all alone. And uh, I close my notebook. And I said, all right, God, how do I end it? 
What do I tell these Chinese when I go there? Do I tell them that you began this in the spirit and now I'm being defeated by America's second harvest with their 500 lobbyists? What do I say? And you know what the Lord said to me? You know what your problem is? When God begins a conversation by telling you, you know what your problem is? It's not good. <clears throat> not good. I want to say, I thought you had a problem, not me. I'm trying, trying to get you to come and help us. So you know what your problem is? I said, what? He said two things. Number one, so clear. He said, you're operating off yesterday's orders. And number two, he said, you forgot who you are. Oof. I said, okay. I said, uh, first of all, who am I? Because <laughs> I forgot. And he said to me, I put an anointing on you that when you get around people, I, I will, that anointing will touch them. Okay, that's who I am. And then he said, I want you to make an appointment with your mayor. That's your new orders. And the Holy Spirit lifted. What do I say? God said, there's an anointing on you. Make an appointment with the mayor. That was it. Well, <clears throat> I tell the secretary, call the mayor. Well, he didn't want to meet with me, but he had to. We've got the biggest church in the city. He has to meet with me. So a week or two later, on a Monday morning, I go to meet with the mayor. And uh, now God said, you go. I remember who you are, so I remember who I am. There's an anointing on me that's going to touch people. Okay? I get to the mayor's office. He opens the door, puts his hand out. How are you? Good? I, I figure when I touch his hand, I get a word. I get some the electricity would hit him. The power of God, he'd fall down. Whatever's going to happen, because, you know, God is supernatural, right? So I'm looking at him, and I'm like, anytime, God, you can do anything right now. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Nothing. I got nothing but an empty handshake. I'm looking at this guy. And I, I mean, it must be, I'm perspiring. How you doing? I said, good, 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 good. Anytime, God, anytime, 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 anytime. Nothing. Why are you here? I'm here to, uh, I'm here to, I said, the first thing came to my mind. I'm here to congratulate you on winning. He goes, that was nine months ago. I said, listen, you have to always be thankful. Every day is a celebration. What an idiot. So we sit down. And I said to him, you know what, I'm really sorry <coughs> that we, you know, we had any misunderstanding. I said, we're, we're apolitical. I'm here to support you. We do a lot in the city. I'm just talking. I don't know what to say. About 15 minutes into it, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in that room. Now, this, this is the heathen mayor. <laughs> I, I could tell you more, but I don't want to be offensive who he had with him. But The Holy Spirit, the Lord said to me, do it now. I said, what? He said, tell him to get a pad. I said, Mayor, get a pad. And he gets a pad. And it was like, he came under a spell. And I said, Mayor, <clears throat> write this down. I, first time meeting the guy. <clears throat> I said, you know the congressman, right? He goes, yes. I said, call the congressman. I need to talk to him. He said, call congressman for Pastor Mike. Then I said, the congressman knows Hillary Clinton, right? He goes, yes. And I said, tell the congressman to call Hillary Clinton. He said, congressman, call Hillary Clinton. And I said, Hillary Clinton knows Walmart, right? And he goes, yes. He said, so I said, tell Hillary Clinton to call Walmart and get us back our food. He says, Hillary, because they're all Democrats, call Walmart and get Pastor back his food. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I'm like, my eyes are bugging out of my head. 
I'm watching this guy like come under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, is there anything else? And I go, I think that's it. <laughs> I shake his hand and I leave. I'm like, my God, what just happened in there? Monday, Tuesday morning, get a phone call from the congressman's office. The mayor called me yesterday, said, you got to see me. And he said, you got to see Pastor Mike. All right. I said, I'll, I go, when are you free? He said, Friday. I'll be there Friday morning with bells on. Friday morning, Charlie and I get in the car to go see the congressman. The cell phone goes off. Unrecognizable number from Arkansas. Answer the phone. This is so-and-so from Walmart International. Yes? Who are you? <laughs> he called me. He said, are you going to see Mrs. Clinton? Yes, I am. <laughs> he said, you better not go talk to her. I said, well, I am. And I'm going to tell her everything you guys did. He goes, what did we do? I said, you took away our food. We've been, up, we've been getting food from you for years. We've got a lot of hungry people here. And you took away our food. He goes, well, don't go talk to Mrs. Clinton. I said, listen. He goes, give me one week. I said, I'll give you one week. You got one week, but you better give us our food back. <clears throat> I go see the congressman. <clears throat> he said, Mike, what do you want? I said, look, give me a week, and then I'll tell you what to do. The next week I get a phone call, honest, from Walmart, and they said, the trucks are rolling. He said, we're going to give you uh, one, one truck a week. I said, no, I want two. <laughs> they started rolling. <clears throat> They've never stopped ever since. Now watch, watch, watch. We just had... We, we, at that moment, I did not know. See, God knows everything. That Walmart was going through a PR crisis because of, of labor things and third world countries. I didn't know. I did not know Hillary Clinton was on their board. Was on their board. I did not know. They did not want one more upset. But God knew. And so this guy gave us anything we wanted. And he changed our designation to what's called the most favored charity status that exists to this day. Everything has changed in, the, in, the, in the, the donation world for charities. It's so hard to get product today. We get 10, sometimes 10 tractor trailer loads a week from Walmart because we have what's called the most favored charity status. Somebody tried to come in and said, you cannot give that stuff to those people. He said, oh, no, don't touch those people. Because those people have most favorite charity status. Right, we don't know who they know up there, but they know somebody in Bentonville. Do not touch those people. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Let's close your eyes and lift your hands. I want to declare to you, <coughs> there is more beyond here. There is more beyond here. There is more beyond here. God has more for you personally. And God has more for the church. But you know what? Close your eyes. I want, to, I want this to sink right into your spirit. Just like me, sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we forget what God's called us to do. We get so caught up, sometimes in, in disappointment and hurt and activity, sometimes in drift, that we've forgotten what God has called us to do. I'm going to pray right now in the name of Jesus that there come an opening of your spiritual eyes. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you would know the hope of his calling.
Father, in the name of Jesus, take your word now and seal it to our hearts. Lord, just like you touched people and said, you opened their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we ask that spiritual eyes be opened. Father, we ask that there would be a recharging and renewing of the call and the commission of why you brought Impact Church here, the original anointing and vision upon Pastor Cameron and Sandra. Stir up, oh God, anything that's been compromised or deleted or left off or forgotten. Let it be stirred in these days. In the name of Jesus, Lord, those sitting here with, with latent gifts, gifts that have gone to the wayside, they've forgotten life and disappointment and sometimes just activity has caused it to be laid aside. We're going to pick up that anointing once again. Father, let the miraculous be the portion. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless Pastor Travis, his wife, their ministry. Lord, as they take over a fresh vision, a new vision for a new day, a fresh anointing. God, fresh faith, a breakthrough faith. That which breaks through and over the wall. Every bit of resistance. Every bit of suffocating. The suffocation, Lord, of resistance of people and words. We break the power of that in Jesus' name. Thank you for life. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for vision. Lord, thank you for what's ahead for this church. Continue to open doors. Let your anointing increase. Let favor. Let key salvations take place. Let there begin to be household salvations. Father, fill this place again and again. Thank you for providing a facility and building. Lord, thank you for finance. Lord, lift, lift your hands. Thank you for finance being released in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for miracle finance. I've seen your miracle and provision. Folks, I've seen millions of dollars in God wants to release miracles. Lord, in the name of Jesus, there is more beyond here. We believe you, Lord. We're going to drop the negativity. We're going to drop the no. We're going to drop the unbelief. We're going to say there is more. There is more. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we sing. Let a new and a fresh grace come upon your church. I bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. For everybody says, give a great shout of victory. I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to turn it to your pastor. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.